Digital brings you Launch Base. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The world of tech startups reimagined. Build and elevate your idea, product, and company as we take you behind the scenes with successful entrepreneurs, investors, and tech professionals. These mentors showed me a map of success. Learn from inspiring stories, business strategies, and marketing techniques that will take your business to the next level. Are you ready? And now your host, John Radford. Hey, and welcome to the first episode of LaunchBase. This is a podcast all about tech startups and everything digital product. If you are a startup just starting out on your journey or a corporation looking to be more agile in your product development, this is the podcast for you. So on today's podcast, we are delighted to have Robert Walsh, Managing Partner of Ventures, join us. Hello, Robert. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me and really appreciate you taking the time to spend with me. Absolute pleasure. Great to have you on here. So Robert is a seasoned investor and a board member to many startups. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and QVentures and how you got to where you are, what you guys do, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Hopefully I don't go on for too long. I'm going to try and keep it short. So uh, cool. after I had a 20-year career, basically in the cutting edge of finance at firms such as Credit Suisse, Dresor, and Unicredit or Unicredito. And as you can tell by my accent, I spent some time in New York as well right. as here in London. And about eight years ago, I started investing in venture capital myself. Cool. And around six years ago, I joined Q Ventures and I became the managing partner. I was actually an investor and then right. I became the managing partner in Q Ventures. And what I brought to the already existing platform was really a view on investing. You okay. always had very good access to deals. So we have a couple of different business lines here at Q Ventures. But what I think is most relevant is we have a fund that we are investing into pre seed companies. Right. And we also work very closely with a selected number of family offices and ultra high net worths that are investing in venture capital. So these are people who can help change the direction of companies as okay. well as ourselves. As you noted, I'm on the board of five companies. You know, each of them I'm very proud of. Each of them yeah. do something unique. And I think in our later podcast, we can go over more as to what we like about each of them. And also we've worked with a couple of portfolio companies called Cloud NC, Podpoint, Coconut. I think a lot of people know that. And on our portfolio... You know, the, always the question is, is, are you doing a good job? And we have a 22% return on our portfolio. So right. we're doing a pretty good job, we think. Yeah, sure. That's pretty high. So I'm a startup and I need some money. At what point am I coming to Q Ventures? Do I have a prototype? Do I have a MVP build? Do I have nothing? Do I have a PowerPoint and big dreams? You know, when, when do I come and see you guys? I think at all those points. You right. know, with the pre-seed fund, it's really a matter of what we like to take a look at is, is where you are is awesome. Uh-huh. We have a very distinguished process. So if you're pre-MVP, great. Yeah. If you're MVP, if you've got revenue, each of those can, can make a very good difference. But I think most importantly for us, we have a system. You go to a type form, you fill it out, you tell us what you think your company's worth. Yeah. And then we take a look and we analyze <laughs> You it. tell us what it's actually worth, right? <laughs> well, you know, money has a price. But I think more important than we bring just money, because anybody can give you money. Yeah. Although let's not downplay how hard it is. No. You know, it's the guidance. You know, we've done 12 investments over the last year. Yeah. Each of our investments have weathered COVID uh, pretty right. well. Cool. And part of that is one of our criteria is how much runway. So what okay. I would say to you is come with a business plan. You can come yeah. with a piece of paper and we can talk to you, but have a plan. Okay. So, but 
I've heard from other investors that, you know, some people think that uh, having a business plan and projections and forecasts is great, but at the same time, some of it is arbitrary because it's difficult to plan for four or five years for a tech startup. I mean, what do you, uh, what do you say to that? Well, what I would say is when you leave the house, you kind of know where you're going. Right. You might not know the exact path. Mm-hmm. You might know you're going to the store. It could be M&S or it could be, I don't know. Tesco's, depending upon what you're looking for. But you know you're going to the store. So if you told your mom you're heading out, depending upon your age, Uh they might think you're going different places. Uh But if you're looking for someone else's money... My mom definitely did. (laughs) Yes. But but, but tell me what you're going to spend my money on. Because that's what you're doing. I think one thing that um, people need to understand is like in our pre-seed fund, I have my own money in there. And so I want to know where my money's going. Sure, you know, and sure. listen, five-year projections, yes. You know, everybody, they never not work. I've never yeah. seen a, a company which says, oh, by the way, I won't have money in five years. Uh-huh. But tell me where you're going and where where is the money going to be allocated? Um, and then I know you're spending it properly. Yeah, got it, got it. And and so I'm a hungry guy. I've got a cool idea. How important is my idea or how important is me and my plan that you just mentioned? You know, everything's very important. Right. You know, a bad idea can only grow so much. A good idea without execution can die. Mm-hmm. Why are you on your own? You know, we yeah. see businesses where, you know, they're a tech business and the CTO has 2%. Yeah. It doesn't smell like a tech business for me if the guy that has 2% isn't building it. Um, do you so invest, really, sorry to interrupt, but do you invest in founded companies or do you always feel that you have to have like a, you know, co-founders and like you say, a CTO on board, et cetera. You know, everything is, is it's, you know, it's kind of like making a stew or something. It's, it's an amalgamation. So, you know, is it good to have two founders? Yes. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't need that. Sometimes you have four founders and it creates a different problem. What I would say is each founder needs to have a place. So mm-hmm. we looked at a business which had three founders that each, each did SEO. We know eventually, call it Series B, there's going to be a problem because they're going to be diluted too much. So right. it is kind of a mix. And, and and also what is very frustrating is what might be good in an ad tech business might not be good in a, a FMCG business. So it's difficult to, to do single terms, but I prefer co-founders, one okay. CTO, one non-CTO, yep. but it's not, it's not needed. I mean, if you're a great no. founder, you can get a CTO and give them 10% of your company. Right, right. And so on that, on that subject, what, what, what makes a great founder? What do you look for? You know, when do you see stars in someone's eyes? What, what qualities do these people have? Well, you know, we see people, we want to see industry knowledge. Uh-huh. And if they don't have that industry knowledge, you know, first question is, is, is this a tech business for us? We, we have a pre-seed fund and it's important that these are technology businesses. And that's for a couple of reasons. But uh, more importantly is that uh, since it's a pre-seed fund, we're not going to back you to be Series B. So we want to make sure that it's not hardware. Right. Not a great hardware businesses. And I think... One thing I would stress is that just because Q Ventures doesn't invest in your business, just because an Atomico doesn't invest in your business, doesn't make it a bad business. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their criteria. There are companies that we have seen. One of the companies, because we also, away from the fund, we do um, we raise money for companies. Mm-hmm. And we've got 55 companies. One of them that has done tremendously well is something called Bashi. I'm sure right. you've seen it on the street. Right. He's an amazing, amazing entrepreneur. It's consumer-based. So I don't... I don't do a lot of consumer stuff. But when you say, what about the founder? The founder needs, we need to feel that he's going to be able to weather the storm, Mm -hmm. 
Does he have the expertise? If he doesn't have the expertise, does he have an advisor yeah. that has that expertise? And how engaged is that advisor? Okay. Does he have some shares? You know, is he on the board? That's what we look at. And does he have the grit to make it through? So these advisors is something that I'm seeing quite a lot with, with startups. Are, are we talking a, a kind of a board member advisor here, a mentorship person? What does this advisor do and, and how can they help the founder? It's, it's a mixed bag. You know, the mentorship, we sit on the board of most of our companies. Right. You know, and it's a combination. You know, for some of them, it's mentorship. For others, it's introductions. For others, it's just double checking a business model and saying this might be right, this might be wrong. Sure. I mean, you would be surprised how many. I mean, we're generalists, so we've seen businesses, but you know, sometimes some of the more FMCG type businesses, as they grow, they they lose money in year five. It's uh-huh. a weird dynamic. So you know, it's it's different. But I think it's are people incentivized? We put money in the company, so yeah. we're incentivized to help it. Yeah. You know, and and will that same person be incentivized in two years' time? And that's where right. we look at. But also, it's a matter of what are you disrupting? And I think going back to your original question is, are you solving a real problem or a problem you have yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, Uber for children, because I don't want to take my kid to sports. You know, those, you know, people, <laughs> you know, nice. listen, we, we all have problems, right? But, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's not something I want to invest in because we have Uber, you yeah, know? Right. Um, and. Uh- you know, uh, we, we we see these a lot at, at Bourne, actually, where someone comes with an idea to us and it's you can kind of tell that this is just a little play thing for themselves, essentially, that, you know, that they're, they're solving a personal problem, you know, and so that that's cool. So so on that subject, actually, is of, of when people are coming to you, I'm coming to you. Let's let's put a couple of scenarios together. I have a working MVP that I've kind of bootstrapped myself you know i've gone to an agency mm-hmm. or whatever i've got a couple of freelancers and I, I i've managed to put something together it's got some reasonable thought behind it it kind of works we don't really have many users yet but here's a proof of concept for you guys versus the other scenario or maybe i just have some designs i've mocked together some nice ux ui put together a little prototype versus i have a powerpoint presentation and a business plan those three different scenarios how much difference or how much less of my company am I giving away if I get myself to that kind of MVP stage? I've actually got a working build. I've got a few users, albeit not many, but I, I have a proof of concept there. Right. I mean, you're looking and you have to you have to remember there's a pre-money and a post-money. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mentioned that is that it's how much money do you need to get where you want to be? Right. And this is so, so if you have a working MVP, a couple of people are using it, it works. Yep. You know, you're probably somewhere between a valuation of 750 to 2 million pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're raising 100,000 pounds, that 100,000 pounds will get you 12 to 18 months runway. You know, actually, you're going to be on the lower end of that. Whereas if you're raising 500,000 pounds, yep. and that gets you 12 months runway because of the type of business you have. Yeah. And that's, right. the, that's the difficult thing that's to say. Yeah. That's the kicker. If you have a piece of paper and you got some very good ideas, we as, as an investor have to think to ourselves, how much do we want to take on? We've done a business like that, which you know was a 600,000 pound pre-money valuation. How much can we have? How much, how much do we want to help develop the business? How much time can we dedicate to that? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, do we have one or two potential people that we think we can introduce that could be that advisor's? In our network of investors, we have 1,100 investors. 
a lot of them are looking to give back and help. And we might be able to make that introduction where somebody could give the expertise. But I think what I, when you say that, normally if you have an MVP, you might know less about the market than if you just have a PowerPoint. Okay. Like we have one company, which is uh, Gleanly, which is a great, great company. And Daniel, I would say he's more of an expert and then he wanted to build the tech. Uh-huh. Whereas if he was disrupting that market, he would might have built the tech to learn a bit more. So it's an interesting dynamic yeah, um, where right. you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, because there, there was the kind of the San Francisco of like move fast, break things, et cetera, you know, just launch as quickly as possible, get something out there and then see what happens. Right. And do you feel like that that model has changed slightly or is different in the UK? I think, you know, it's a matter of you can do that. It matters how much money you can get. Right. Right. It's a whole different game. If you're doing a seed round of five million dollars at a five million pound valuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or five million dollar valuation. Yeah. Obviously. Right. Um, But, you know, if you can do that, I think it makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense to get out there. But it's also, what is your, I mean, you know, you're looking at the last eight years, a lot of changes. Mm -hmm. Number one is obviously your phone. Mm -hmm. A lot more can be done. You have an app, et cetera. You can get things out there faster. You can build that faster. But I think here in the UK, you don't have as deep a pocket and as risky a pocket, right? Mm-hmm. And also, quite frankly, you're, you're, we, I shouldn't say you're, I've lived here for 15 years, so we yeah. have a smaller economy. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, you're one of us now. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but we have a smaller economy, right? Yeah. I mean, the GD, you know, mm-hmm. we have 60 million people here, the US is 300 million. Yeah. So there's a lot more you can do. So yeah. I, I, if you can continue to raise that money and you've got that backing, it does make sense. But, you know, if you raise $5 million, you know, and you put 500,000 into your first build and another 500 into your second build, you still have a lot of runway. Mm-hmm. Whereas most seed rounds here are between around 500 to 750,000 pounds. So they just don't go as far. Sure, sure. And you mentioned the word risk in there. And this is something I've heard elsewhere as well in, in that the UK definitely is a little less risk averse. Would you agree with that? I think you mean they're, they're more risk averse. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So... I, I, I don't know. I have a U.S. accent. Like I said, my prior career in New York was in banking, so I didn't really do venture. I don't, I think, I think UK investors take a lot of risk. I mm-hmm. don't think that they're, they're more risk averse, but the ecosystem here, you do have certain things that are, are yeah, I think any startup is very risky. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't think people are, you know, the, the term people don't do real venture in the UK, I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I think I think in the US, if there's more money there, people might take more risk and spread their bets. You sure. know? But on the other hand, I see a lot of, and I can't speak with to the US, but people support their companies in quite a few rounds. You know, you mm-hmm. get cut very quickly. It's a very different mentality, I think, to the US mentality, which I've had, where they'll just cut you. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. And uh, that's interesting. So on a slight segue, I'm raising money. You've got the crowdfunding mm-hmm. platforms these days, right? Crowdcube, right. Cedars, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have yourselves. Is there a plus or minus to either of those? Why am I going with you guys? Is it that mentorship? Is it the, the proofs in the pudding? Or what's, what's the pros and well, cons here? I mean, you might get me in trouble now. Crowdcube and Cedars are merged, right? Or they're in the process of Yeah, they merged. are, right. Yeah. Like, right? So, so I think, you know, I think they add a huge value to the ecosystem. You know, mm-hmm. why would you come to a Q Ventures? Well, for the fund, because we invest in you, right? That's different. 
on the introduction or the uh, or the syndicate program that, program that we run, you would come to us because you would be looking for somebody who would be writing a two hundred fifty thousand million pound check. So mm-hmm. they would know something about your business. Yeah, I think Cedars and CrowdCube traditionally do very well when people, and we've worked on deals with them, uh, Laundry Heap and also Coconut, is when they're building communities. That's when they're most successful. And earlier stage. So we've just, in the other program, done something with Cloud and C, which is more a 70 million pound company. And I think if the community isn't built early, like Revolut did a very good job building early the community with CrowdCube or Cedars. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it is. So it's more touchable. It's like, like Warren Buffett says, he invests in Coke because he drinks Coke. Right. And I think that's, that's you know, I think more the opaque B2B enterprise SaaS. Yeah. Some of the marketplaces would struggle more in CrowdCube because people wouldn't use them as much yeah. okay. or Cedars. Yeah, okay. That's really interesting. So moving on from that, I'm thinking about what things do you as a company and as a as a person, as a personal investor, look for in, in a company that you're going to invest for? What are the kind of, let's say, top five things? Uh, top five things that we look for when we're looking at, at a company. One is the founders. What's the addressable market? What's the real addressable market? When we look at founders, what are their sector es- expertise? Why are they disrupting? You know, if, you know, I mean, it would be absurd since this is a podcast, you can't see me, but for me to do a fashion brand, it just wouldn't be on, right? I, I shouldn't be disrupting fashion. You know, what are their advisors I mentioned? You know, the other thing I would say is when we look at it is, 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 you know, founders are new at this. Uh-huh. So we have to give them some time. We have to understand that they're not going to come in here and pitch to us perfectly. When we work with a lot of the private equity investors, they're, they, they're like, well, I thought that might be going better. And we have to realize that these companies are a million, five million pounds. If I want a good tech company, I go to Apple. But addressable market, and what is that real addressable market? What are they going to do with the capital? What's the business plan? You know, how long will this last? For us, we also do a lot of dilution analysis to back mm-hmm. into pricing. You know, how much will be diluted? And then it's also, you know, a little bit of a management for the for the entrepreneur in the sense that, you know, if you're going to tell me your company's worth 800 million pounds, you don't need to own 80% of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, classic example, and, 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 and I, I don't know Alex very well. I don't really know him at all. But look at Alex Chesterman. He owns 5% of oh. Zoopla. He's gone out and he's done another amazing company. Oh, was it Carzoo? And right. he's, you know, he's just raised 300 million, but he's not going to own 40%. And I think entrepreneurs need to believe that they will succeed themselves. Yeah. yeah. And then if you listen, you can build a hundred million, 200 million pound company and own 20% of it in three years. You're doing, okay. listen, you're doing all right. Yeah. You're also employing a lot of people. Let's not forget everybody here is building a business which will employ other people, which is not easy. You're no. all of a sudden becoming a manager. You're now, you know, you now have other people like my company started five years ago. I now employ nine people, right? And I think that's one of the differentiators that we do have at QVentures is that we do have a large staff to work with our entrepreneurs. Right, right. Yeah, and that the the employing people is something obviously I've experienced firsthand and it's a, it's a challenge. It's a unique challenge in itself. It definitely is. Yeah. A couple other things, you know, um, when you're looking at, uh, you know, can you, can you, or can you as an investor add value to the company, either through networks? And is that important? It might or it might not be, but can you do it? Don't promise right. it and, and, and not do it. And also, as an investor, do you want to be a leader or a follower? Nothing wrong. We have people who come to us and say, listen, I'm an expert. 
in enterprise SaaS. And so I just want to follow on other deals mm-hmm. where other people say, I'm an expert in enterprise SaaS and I'll only do enterprise SaaS. That's your personal opinion. And as an investor, I think it's important. And also as a founder, you shouldn't be scared to ask the person, what's your investment strategy? Yeah, Because I think there's a lot of people who are kicking tires and they're not really investing. And yeah. you might be that two companies that they do in a year. Like we do 12 companies a year. We're okay. very open and very direct. You know, we prefer to term sheet quickly, get all our terms on the table and not have a late stage negotiation. Sure. Right. Okay. That's nice. I mean, I think transparency is key with these things. So I I just wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned about the founder and your fashion comment. And and you wouldn't be the face of a fashion brand. Do you think it's important for a founder to be the face of a brand that they're representing? You, you You see some companies where the founder is this kind of wonderful Instagrammable type person and, you know, they're everywhere. Or others where it's a little bit more they're the behind the scenes. I mean, is there a, is, is there a shift there, do you think? Well, I think, okay, I don't know, you know, could I run a fashion brand? I probably could, but just get back to that. But I don't have a passion for fashion. Yeah. Right? I'm not looking at what's happening in the whatever, uh, the fall. What are we in fall now? Fall right. 2020. I'm not, I don't have that passion. So yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to work those extra two or three hours to get that passion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, do I think there needs to be an image? And, and it's, 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 I think in the early days, it's very easy to market a person, right? Yeah. But eventually, and this is, this is one of the challenges founders will have in their growth is when should they pass the reins up? Yeah. And that's something we look at as well is, you know, we have another company that's done very well. The founder's amazing and is now passing the reins probably two years later than they should have. Yeah. And what that means is they grow the company to 30 to 50 million pounds, and then it stagnates. And it's not good for them either. Some people are good at, at bootstrapping. Well, then continue to bootstrap. You know, I do think we're going through uh, in the last two to five years where bootstrappers bootstrap. Great. Yeah. Because they just haven't got a growth mindset? Or, or what do you think that is? Uh, do you want to manage 50 people? Yeah. Some people don't. No. Right. Right. And yeah. they're very successful. You know, some people love to tick away at the computer and code and, and, and come up with that next idea. Yeah. Some people are idea generation people. Yeah. Some people prefer operational. And yeah. that's kind of what it is. And, and knowing your limitations is good because you'll yeah. do the best as a founder, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. you'll see that continuously with businesses. They'll become a chairman. Great, become the chairman. And, and maybe you can, and for the economy, maybe you can find a business. We're finding certain entrepreneurs are coming back to us now that we've been doing this for six years. And that's great. You know, mm. they just leave in a proper segue when the company gets to a certain level because they didn't become a founder. A lot of people leave big business because they don't want to deal with that anymore. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, that's not the reason they started out being an yeah. entrepreneur, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, so on that subject, one of our final questions: Is there any mistakes that you could advise you know founders to avoid when starting out and approaching investors? Not raising enough money. Right. Okay. Is that through no, undervaluing your company or just not being? No. No. Uh, I need five hundred thousand pounds to get to me get to where I need to be. I raised, I have 300 committed. I've been fundraising for a while. Don't take the 300 until you get 500. Because okay. all you end up doing is fundraising. You just spend your life fundraising. You frustrate the investors. You frustrate yourself. You know, right. And that's, that's, that's one thing 
you know, piece of advice and to make sure you have a passion for it. It is hard. Yeah. And yes, it is working 24 hours. If you're doing it right, it's working hard 24 hours. Yeah. Or whatever, 12 hours, 15 hour days or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, right. and the last thing I would say is know who's going to pay for your product. We see a lot of products that we pass on where it's a great idea, but nobody knows who's going to pay. And, and and if you don't get paid, you go out of business. Okay. We're probably going to have to do a follow-up series on that, but I do want to touch on that, knowing who's going to pay for my product. When am I when am I figuring this out? Like, Am I doing this in a sort of user research stage right at the start with some kind of market research and analysis of, of, of the marketplace? Or am I doing this post-MVP and figuring out who my users are? As soon as you can. Right. You know, I mean, whether it's market research, just getting... We've seen many early stage deals where they're great ideas, and then it's like, oh, the council will pay, the government will pay. It's like, well, I don't think they pay for anything. So, if it's a good, if it's a good idea, right? I mean, we're using some sort of app right now. It's a good idea for Squadcast. I'm sure you're paying for it. Right? I am. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Now, if you thought the person you were going to interview was going to pay for it, then then you'd be looking at me and be like, I'm not paying for it. I'm talking to you. I mean, it's as simple as that. But yeah. people will say. Well, Squadcast is a great idea. You know, I can see you. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful tool. Yeah, but you well. gotta, right? But if if we were hoping that somebody would pay for it, they would run out of money, and that's really yeah. one of the challenges. Okay, Robert, it's been excellent talking to you. I, I think we'll leave it there. I think we've there's a lot to take away from this, and I think we'd love to have you back and certainly speak to some of your founders as well. All right, sounds great. And thanks so much for giving us the time. And good luck yeah. with everything. Absolute pleasure, Robert. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of LaunchBase, brought to you by Born Digital. Mission complete. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. For more info and to stay connected off the show, visit launchbase.fm.